So we got a lot going on today. We're going to take communion at the end, so just bear with us. Service may go a little long, but you'll be okay. If the movie goes long, we don't care. But so Jesus is going to bless you today. You're going to get a lot out of this. So our series for the month is called A Tale of Two Prophets. So what happens at Elevate? We get you going, and nobody wants to sit down. They're like, woo, yeah, party. Party in the room. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you're going to know that we've been talking about Elisha and Elijah. Hey, guys, time to start. Keep your lows down to a murmur. There we go. There we are. So we've been talking about Elijah and Elisha. And who are these guys? These are two prophets in the Old Testament. Well, what's the importance of them? Well, Elisha was a disciple of the guy named Elijah. So I'm going to set the scene for you here so that you can understand the setting and then come into the background of what's actually going on. In the Bible, what the Bible talks about is that mankind left the Lord. I'm going to give you a rundown of the gospel, it seems. So man left the Lord, and God, man went their own way, began serving all types of different gods. God chose out of the human race, he chose a man named Abraham. He called Abraham to himself, and when Abraham began to follow the Lord, the Bible says Abraham believed God, and it was given to him as righteousness. And so God made Abraham right before him because Abraham trusted him. From Abraham, God gave birth to a nation. Everybody say Hebrews. Hebrews. Right. He gave birth to a group of people, a nation called the Hebrew children. And the word Hebrew means people from over there. Right? The people from the other side of the tracks, the other side of the river, the people out there. That's really what it means. And what that tells us is that God takes the broken and he mends them. God takes those who are far off and he draws them near. And so whatever stage of life, people oftentimes think, well, no, but God could never use me. You don't know what I come from. God could never love me. You don't, know, you don't know my background. You don't know anything about me. You don't know the mistakes I've made. I'm a person from over there. Well, you're exactly the candidate that Jesus is looking for. He takes the people from over there. And so he even tells them in the Bible, he tells the children of Israel later, he tells them, he said, it wasn't because you were so spectacular that I chose you. It wasn't because you were so amazing and just bedazzled among all the nations that I put my eye on you. He tells them, I chose you because you were the least of all people. Because God takes what is least and he makes it great. God takes what is broken and he mends it. God takes what is lowly and lifts it up. The Bible says he gives beauty for ashes. You feel like your life's burned out? You feel like your life's been burned down and there's nothing left? Give the ashes to Jesus. And he gives beauty for ashes. He lifts them up. The Bible says he, take, he, he lifts the weary from the ashes and sets them among princes. He takes what is barren in our life and we give birth. We give birth to things that we didn't even know about. What we felt like was empty, God produces life through our emptiness. Nobody can do that but Jesus. Nobody. And so somebody says, well, I don't really come from brokenness. I don't really come from that. I come from this. You know, my family was stable. They all kind of followed the Lord. You know, so I come from a Christian home or a a faith-filled home. Well, I would say to you that God's interest in you is to take you to the other level. His interest is never in allowing people to stay the same. So regardless of where you come from, if you come from a faith-filled home, one of my prayers over my son is that he would understand. I've been praying for my son a lot lately. He's a teenager, so, you know, we got to intercede as much as possible. But I've just been releasing the Lord that he would understand his identity, he would understand his purpose, but that God would elevate him above the position of his birth. That God would take our faith and the house that he comes from and that the Lord would enable him to go further. 
My wife's and I's story is a story of where we follow Jesus. I share this often because it needs to be told. I share it often because a lot of you can identify with it. My family did not follow the Lord. I was the forerunner. I'm the first one that, like, all in, born again, evangelical, Jesus is Lord. Okay? A lot of Catholicism in my family, but very little passion, very little drive, very little desire for the things of God. So I'm the first spirit-filled believer in my family. And I follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Now, that doesn't mean I get a badge. Ooh, look at you, Kevin. Five stars up in the corner for you. No, it means that my, my life is a product of my passionate pursuit of the things of God's heart and His kingdom. And my willful submission and obedience unto those things has produced the fruit in my life. Is it perfect? No. But if you were to look at my life, even now, and compare it to my immediate family, you would see a stark difference. It's like night and day. If you were to take my wife's life and compare it to her immediate family, it's like night and day. And the difference is, is that we follow Jesus with our whole heart. We follow the, so the defining point of a life that elevates is a life that's determined by the passionate pursuit of the things of God. You do not have to be who you were. You do not have to be that. You don't have to continue down the same road that everybody else went down. And if you've been born into faith, then your obligation is to rise above the level of your birth. Your obligation is to take it to the next level. Your obligation is not to live at the same level of your forefathers. It's not to do that. It's to go higher. There's a principle of the gospel called redemption and lift. Redemption means to bring back or buy back. So God buys you back. He purchases you back. And the second point is lift. Jesus isn't interested in purchasing you back and leaving you the same. He's in the restoration business. Okay? Come on. So he buys cars. He renews them. And he puts them up, okay? He restores homes, he restores houses, that's what he does. He buys it back, but he doesn't leave it the same. He'll buy the burnout shack, and he'll make it a mansion, if you'll let him, okay? This is who he is, this is what he does. And so God works through this nation, this people, these Hebrew people, calls them to himself, and in the process of time, he forms them into a government, into a people that would follow him. He gives them their ordinances, he entrusts them with the word, he gives them lots of things, gave them prophets, but in the process of time, the part of the people in the north, so the nation was kind of like this long, skinny nation, the northern people of the nation decided they didn't want to follow God anymore. They weren't down with the whole, let's worship God. They wanted to worship God in their own terms. So the Bible says they separated from the south, and they set up for themselves their own gods and their own form of worship. The south stayed loyal to the Lord, so the southern kingdom became known as, help me out, Judah, say it with me, the northern kingdom became known as Samaria, okay, or Israel. So those are two intertwined words for the northern kingdoms of Israel. Samaria and Israel. So if you, that reference is always the north. South is always referenced by Judah. They decided they didn't want to follow the Lord. And so they had 19 wicked kings in the, war, in the row. The whole nation went into darkness because the people decided they were not going to follow the Lord anymore. They decided this wasn't important. They decided they wanted to do it their own way. They didn't need to follow this. They needed to do this. And they reaped the product of that, which was darkness, despair, pain. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to every people. We see it again and again and again and again. Nations that have been impacted by the Gospels are, are almost always the most stable nations in the, in the, in the world. Whether they're still following it or not, nations that have a root or a foundation or a base that is related to the gospel are always the most stable in the world. Those who have never had the gospel pass through, never had the gospel infect their government or affect their government, nothing changes. 
darkness continually does. Human government is given by God, Romans 13. It doesn't mean that human government is necessarily godly, but the establishment of government is God's decree. So that's another state. I'm trying to wind myself. Don't go there, Kevin. Come back this way. Stay on Kings. Stay here. So God sends Elijah, the first prophet. So everybody say, Elisha was the disciple of Elijah. So Elisha followed Elijah. God sends Elijah to the north. This is important. Why? Because the people were not asking God for anything. They were in darkness. There is no indication in Scripture whatsoever that these people even cared that light came. They weren't asking God. They weren't crying out to God. Yet Jesus sends light to the darkness. He sends light into the darkness and shows them an alternative. That's the idea. Does anybody want light? Does anybody want something that you've never experienced before? That's what he does. Jesus is the light that's come into the world. He comes. Even when we weren't asking for it, he comes. Some of you are here today. You're here to hear the gospel. You're here to hear the glory of God. You're here. Why? It's like, well, I wasn't asking this. Somebody dragged me here. Somebody told me I should come. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm not really sure. You're here to experience the light of Jesus Christ. That's what you're here for. Jesus is sending light into your life, and you're not even asking for it. He sent Elijah to a people who weren't even asking for it. And then Elijah leaves, and then he sends Elisha. So he sends Elisha, the second one, up to the, to, to the north as well, and they began to minister and call the people back. Again, it's kind of an expression. Does anybody want what you've never had? So we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 3, and I'm going to give you the setting. So everybody say three kings. There's the king of Edom, the king of Samaria, which is the north, okay? So we have the king of Edom, which is another kingdom in and around Israel. We have the kingdom of Samaria, which is the kingdom of the northern part of Israel. And we have the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern part. Two out of these three didn't follow the Lord. Edom, the Edomites didn't follow the Lord. And Israel, Samaria didn't follow the Lord. Judah decides they're going to follow, they're going to join company with these guys. Judah decides, Judah doesn't consult God, the kingdom of Judah, Jehoshaphat, the king. He doesn't consult God, doesn't inquire of God. He just says, hey, this seems like a good idea. Let me join up with you guys and join this confederacy. They were going against a nation called Moab. Okay? Jehoshaphat is the only one who was faithful. He honored God. One of the things Jehoshaphat did when he became king is he sent out missionaries into the entire nation to go and reestablish the covenant among the people. One of the things Jehoshaphat was known for was the reestablishment of the faith within the, within the nation. So that's one of the things. He was very faithful to God, and he wanted to draw the people back to the Lord. The kingdom of the north, Samaria, is going against Moab, so he brings Edom and he brings Judah with him. Why? Well, the king of the, the, king of the, the, king of the north. I feel like I'm like Game of Thrones here. King of the north! <laughs> the king of the north... If you know Game of Thrones, you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, the, I'm like, what? What's he talking about? Kevin's chasing squirrels all over the place here this morning. So the king of the north, uh, who is Joram, Joram wants to go against Moab because Moab is no longer paying tribute to him. So Ahab was the king before Joram. He dies, Joram becomes king, and the Moabites were subject to the Samaritans or the Israelites. And they say, we're not paying you. We used to pay Ahab. We're not paying you anymore. So Joram gets mad and says, this is cool, right? So we're going to go and collect what we're owed. So he decides to go out on this mission. They all go out together, and they have a big problem. They run out of water. That's a problem in the desert, isn't it? You don't have any water? Hello. Right? Next slide. So the king of the north asked Jehoshaphat, will you follow? And he says, I will. So here's a big problem. The spiritual guy comes under the authority of the non-spiritual guy. 
Okay? The man of God or the nation of God or the prophetic people come under the, under the influence of a secular group. And they willingly submit to that. So we know there's going to be a problem here. In other words, they set their faith aside and begin to follow something. You can't do that. Your faith has to go with you. We have an integrated gospel. Where you go, the kingdom goes. Right? You're not a son and a daughter on Sunday only. You're a son and a daughter seven days a week, 24 hours. So you can't set your faith aside. You have to carry it with you. It's your identity. It's your kingdom. You carry the kingdom with you. And so they said, we're at your disposal, so my men and horses. So he submits everything he has unto this. And he says, what route shall we attack? Here's, again, my favorite. If you read the story, Jehoshaphat, the man of God, isn't going, hey, let's pray. Let's look to the Lord. Let's get a word from God. Let's see what God would have us to do. He looks at the secular guy, the non-follower, and he goes, what do you think we should do? That's the last thing he should do. Jehoshaphat should have taken the lead and should have said, wait a minute, hold on, dude. Okay, I know you all aren't following the Lord. I do. Let me seek Jesus. Let me find a word. Let me see what he's going to say. Let's see if this is actually even a good idea. That would be a good idea to find out if it actually is a good idea. And then the second side of that would be, let's see if he has a plan of attack for it. How does he want us to go about it? But they didn't do that. They just all got together and decided, this is what we're going to do. And so Joram says, we're going to walk through the wilderness of Edom. And so King Joram and the kings of Judah and Edom, they all went out. And after marching seven days, they ran out of water. And there was none left for the men or the pack animals. We're done for, Joram said. The Lord has put us into this and has given us into the hand of Moab. I don't know if you caught that or not. They came up with the plan. They came up with the strategy. This was all their idea. Jesus had nothing to do with it whatsoever. They didn't consult him at all. They go out on their way, and it doesn't go the way they want, and they go, it's the Lord that's doing this to us. I mean, how many times do we get involved in things, make decisions that seem like a great idea? Jesus isn't in the consultation. Oh, no, we've got this figured out. I'm smart enough to figure this out on my own. Well, that's your first problem. I'm going to just go out there, and this is going to be my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Don't ask the Lord about it. You get out there, and all of a sudden it doesn't go your way, and you're like, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? And he's going to go, you picked him. You picked her. You chose it. You didn't get me involved at all. You know, I'll try to work through your mess. That's what he's going to do. Jesus is going to work through the mess. But I didn't cre- he didn't create the mess. And so they go out, and they're like, the Lord's done this. Wrong answer. And Jehoshaphat says, well, I guess I better be the spiritual one here. And he says, is there a prophet in Israel? Is there a prophet that can give us a word from the Lord and find out what the problem is here? So King Jehoshaphat asks, and an officer of Joram's forces says, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, he was Elijah's assistant. We don't know a lot about this guy. He comes from here. He does this. We know we hung out with Elijah. So we know he's around. Jehoshaphat is hanging with the wrong crowd. Okay? Christian, what covenant does light have with darkness? We hang with the wrong people. Right? You're hanging with unbelievers. There are some places you can go with them, but there are other places you cannot. The idea is that the, your job is to bring the believer into where you go. You know, it's like the Bible says this. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. You're like, I'm free. Oons, 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 oons. I can go to the club. I can, I can party. I can do all these things, man. I'm a missionary. Oons, 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 oons. And before... <laughs> And before you know it, you're doing the things you used to do. You're, doing the, you're, you're caught in something because you went too far. You can hang out with them. You can go to a movie. You can go to dinner. There's a couple things you can do. You can do all that, but you can't go there. You understand? You can't make an agreement there. 
And you can't go, well, what do you want to do? I want to go to the club. And you go, okay, I am with you and all of my horses. Let's take my car. That's a great idea. <laughs> and then you get pulled over, DUI, all kinds of crazy stuff. And you're going to go, Lord, why are you doing this to me? And the Lord's going to go, ons, 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 ons. <laughs> hanging with the wrong crowd, he's blaming the Lord, all that. Jehoshaphat calls for a prophet. Okay, this is important because this relates to you too. So the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, the prophets came and the, the Holy Spirit came and went. So the people were relying upon the prophetic voice to come to a chosen group of people. So they had to have a prophet. So when the, when the king wanted to hear from the Lord, he had to get a prophet. When the people wanted to hear from the Lord, they, God had to send a prophet. They had to inquire of a prophet. That was the Old Testament ministry. In the New Testament... Say it with me. All can prophesy. Say it with me. All can hear the voice of the Lord. That's right. Acts 2. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Did he stutter? No. All can hear God. All can speak forth. All can see, hear, and feel as, he speak, as, he, as the Father is. All can. There's been a shift in the style of ministry. It's shifted. It's gone from something that proclaimed certain aspects of judgment, but now it proclaims life. Some, I feel there's some prophetic people in the room and maybe you're wondering about what it is that I just said. Okay, I'll define it for you. When Jesus was walking with John and James, you remember it? And they wanted to call fire down. You remember that story? Okay, this is the pivotal point in the prophetic ministry and this is what shifts everything. They said, let's call fire down like Elijah. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Right? So it's taught, well, they are quoting the devil. You know, they're trying to call fire. Jesus didn't come to kill anybody, so they're quoting the devil. He never quoted the devil. He's quoting Elijah. James and John were quoting Elijah. What is he saying? The age of that prophetic voice is closed. That's what he's saying. The prophetic voice where fire comes down is closed. You know not what spirit you're of. You're of that spirit. That spirit is ended. Jesus, John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is first of the new. He's the forerunner. He's God. Yes, I get it. He's not just the prophet. He's prophet, priest, and king. Messiah, savior of the world, virgin born. God, come down. I understand all that. Okay? But he comes forth to bring forth a new line. He comes forth to bring forth a new calling. He comes forth to bring forth a new way. And we follow the prophetic line of Jesus who speaks life and not death, who speaks blessing and not cursing, who calls forth identity. How many times did he call forth identity in the scripture with a prophetic voice? You're Peter. Your name is Simon, but I call you Peter. You are sons of thunder. He called out prophetic voice over them. How many times did he do that? All the time, right? How many storms did Jesus redirect? How much destruction did he level? None, because it's a different prophetic line. We're a line that releases the prophetic voice of life, not the prophetic voice of death. We're the ones who find identity and not find problems. You walk up to somebody and go, oh, I got a word for you. I just see sin in your life, brother. I see sin. Well, duh, you know. Wow, genius. Doesn't take a genius to find dirt in a gold mine, just so you know. You go into a gold mine and you find dirt, you're not a genius. The genius is finding the gold in the gold mine. Getting the dirt out of the way and seeing into the person's life for who they are. Seeing into the person's life for the golden identity that God wants to call forth. Now we're tracking. Now we're, we're hitting the marker. Now we're in. So there's a shift in the prophetic voice. They were relying upon the prophets. All may prophesy. Will all prophesy? Probably not. Will all know how to prophesy? Definitely not. 
but all can. That's the difference. Okay, so Jehoshaphat's blaming on the wrong God. They call on a prophet. They send for Elijah, okay? So Elijah's like the Obi-Wan, right? So think Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're like, what? what? I, don't, I don't understand. I don't, Star Wars, okay, you with me? New hope. Help me, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. That kind of thing. So Elijah's kind of like the Obi-Wan. Help us, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. I just came back from, I, that's, that's, I just came back from Disney, so I'm like in Star Wars mode. So, yes. Anyway, next slide. I love this. So Elijah comes up to him and he looks at him and he goes, I mean, can you imagine? He walks up to them and he goes, why should I help you? Right? Say this. The prophet in the Old Testament may have an attitude, but the Lord always helps. Okay? And there's not any any indication in the Old Testament when they ask the prophet if the Lord will help them that the Lord didn't help. Not one. Okay? So the prophet may be mad. The prophet may come up and go, oh, yeah. Yeah? All right, let me ask Jesus. Oh, man, he's going to help you. He's going to help you. I don't know why he's going to help you. I wouldn't be helping you, but he's going to help you. All through the Old Testament, we think this thunderous voice of condemnation and prophetic ministry. Every time the people inquired of the Lord for help, they got it. 100% of the time. 100% of the time. He's an ever-present help in time of need. Jonah? Jonah didn't want Nineveh to repent, right? (laughs) Oh, man, he's going to help him, man. I'm not going to go tell him. Jesus wants to save these people, man. They deserve to burn, man. I'm not going there. I'm not talking to him. The prophet may have the attitude, but the Lord doesn't. You see it again and again. Jeremiah, they kidnapped the brother, okay? The people do what God says, don't do this. The people go, we're doing it anyway, and they leave, and they go, oh, by the way, we better take a prophet with us just in case things go wrong. And so they kidnapped Jeremiah, They're in Egypt. Everything's gone sideways, and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? Hey, we did kidnap Jeremiah. Let's see if he'll inquire for the Lord for us. And Jeremiah prays, and they go, is there a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah goes, there is. And the Lord helps them in their rebellion. The Lord helps them in their disobedience. The Lord even helps them in the kidnapping of Jeremiah. I mean, go figure. Who would do that? Jesus would. So once you understand, the Lord will always help you. 100% of the time. You say he's that good? Yeah, he's that good. You say he's that kind? Yeah, he's that kind. You don't know what I did. It doesn't matter. His kindness surpasses your inability. If you are faithless, he's faithful. He will never deny himself. And what does that mean? He is merciful. He is faithful. He is kind. He is good. All the time, if you call upon his goodness and his mercy, he gives it. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is the Syrophoenician woman. You don't know the story. She comes to him. She says, my, my daughter's sick. Would you heal her? And he says, you don't give what is holy to dogs. Hello. First of all, you've got to understand who she was. She was a Syrian Phoenician, which to a covenant-bound Jew, that's about as offensive as you can get from an ethnic standpoint. She not only was a Syrian, she was a Phoenician Syrian, which means she worshipped a bunch of really bad things and did a lot of bad things. Yet she comes to Jesus and she asks him for help. And he looks at her and says, why should I help you? I, you don't give what is holy to dogs. You know, the bread is for the children. And she said, yes, but even the crumbs fall from the table for the dogs to eat. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And Jesus looked at her and he says, you understand my mercy. You understand that I'm kind. You understand that I will bring light even when there's darkness. You understand that I am good. You understand that I'm generous. And you understand that I'm willing. You have what, I, what you ask. Hello. Most of us, we don't understand that he is good. We don't understand that he is kind. We don't understand that he is generous. And we don't understand that he is willing. 
And it affects our relationship with Him. He's going to bless you whether you want it or not. Or whether you, whether you, whether you deserve it or not. And 99.9% of the time, you don't deserve it. We think if we do all the things right and we check off all the boxes, then God's going to bless us. He'll bless you in your disobedience. He'll be kind to you even when there's no reason for Him to be kind to you. Because He is trying to teach you a different way of following. We want to follow by rules. Right, wrong, left, right, one, two, three, four, this is what we do. That's called discipline, but that's the lowest form. God wants us to follow Him not out of discipline alone, but out of the higher calling, which is love. We follow Him not because He mandates it. We follow Him not because i got to keep a rule. I follow Him because He loves me. He sees me for who I am. Therefore, as Paul said, now the love of Christ is what compels me. I follow Jesus because He loves me. I follow Jesus because he only wants my good. And he, I mean, it's just, you're just like, you're enraptured with love. You're following him not out of rule, but you're following him out of love. You're following him out of kindness. That's the difference. And it takes you to a whole different level in your faith. It's like, Peter, where are we going to go, man? It's like, you're going to leave? Where am I going? Nobody loves me like you. You know, I don't even love myself the way you love me. So I may, I may as well hang out with you because, you know, nobody loves me like you do. That's a song. Love me like you do. I'm like in, I'm in the music moment here. <laughs> this, I love this part. He says, why don't you go and consult Oprah? Why don't you go and consult the gods of your fathers? Why are you coming to me? You've never cared about the Lord. You don't care about him now. You didn't care about him then. You're only trying to get out of your mess. This is the prophet speaking. Why don't you go and call up them? Call the psychic network. You know, here's the number. You know, call them up. See if they'll give you a word. Why are you, insult- why are you consulting me? And so what the prophet is telling them, you have an ancestral problem. Your problem is in your ancestral line. Your problem is that you are following the gods and the generations of your family. You are following everything your forefathers did, and you've not abandoned it. You haven't given up the old gods. You haven't given up the old ways. You continually follow the culture and all of these other things. You have an ancestral problem. So he told them, when you become a Christian, ready? Clue phone's ringing. Let's pick it up. Who's there? Oh, okay, it's Jesus. I'm sorry. Anyway, when you, when, you come, when you come into Christ, you are bought with the what? Starts with a B, ends with a D. The blood. You come under a different bloodline. You are not of the bloodline of the earth. You understand that? You are of the bloodline of heaven. You do not follow your ancestral line anymore. You follow the kingly line through the king and through his blood. That's not who you are. Jesus gave it all up, and he tried to model it for us. Jesus, your mother and brother are outside. Who's my mother? Who's my brother? They that hear the word of God and do it, he's showing you a different line of generation. The blood of Christ is more powerful than your earthly bloodline. This is more your family, sons and daughters, than your earthly family. Now, if your earthly family follows Jesus, well, then they're part of the collective group as well. But your bond is not to your earthly family as much as it is to the household of faith. That's the truth. I am not of this world. I am not of that bloodline. I am of this bloodline. And that bloodline flows from heaven. And he's telling him, you're following the wrong ancestral line. You have the wrong identity. You have all of these different things. And what's the king say? No. This is so often what happens to us. We look, the word comes to us, and we want to say no. Here's your problem. No, that's not it. No, no, that's not it. No, it couldn't be that. It couldn't be my choices. No, it couldn't be that. It couldn't be the way that I think. No, 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 you're wrong. The Lord is doing this to me. Right? That's what they said. And Elijah, Elisha about loses it. He, this is when he freaks out. 
So he, Elijah gives him, a, gives him a prophetic word, makes it very clear. He says, your problem is ancestral. You need to renounce your ancestral things. You need to break away from your ancestral line. And you need to come and identify with the covering that Christ has put upon you. You're walking in the wrong way. No, that's not true. That's what he says. The Lord's done this to us. And Elijah does this. He's like... And he goes, by the living God that I serve, I swear. So he's losing it. You're going to blame God for this? He's like, I swear that I would have nothing to do with you if I didn't respect Jehoshaphat. In other words, Joram, if it was just me and you talking, I wouldn't give you the time of day I would leave. But I know Jehoshaphat honors God. And for the sake of the one who honors God, I'm going to help you. And then he says this, ready? Get me a musician. (laughs) Why does he say that? I was like, because man, you guys have totally chilled the anointing. I don't even feel it anymore. We got to get some stirring worship in here if you want a word, because I don't have it. Sometimes you don't have it, man. Sometimes it got made me so mad, I don't feel the glory on me anymore. All I feel for you is rage and discontent. So we need to get the worship going in here so that the anointing will flow so that I can give you a word. That's what he's saying. So what does that tell us? Worship releases the anointing. Worship releases the atmosphere. Come on. Try it. I told first service, we try to put a really good band together and try to give you the best that we can give you where we're, where we're at. And we don't do that so you can kind of go, wow. It's just an amazing collection of songs. The, your, your chord progressions were just fantastic. I just, I really liked it. I liked the harmonies. You know, I kind of liked all that. Yeah, that's wonderful, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to release the atmosphere of the Spirit in the room. And our goal, come on, is to get you to step into that. Not be an observer, but step into it. Let that atmosphere come on you. Let that atmosphere move in you. If you feel a little move to the right, move to the left. Okay? The back wall is like the dancing wall. So you can dance, you know, you, know, you want to move, right? You can move. You can move. You can do the chicken dance. You can do something, but you can move. Dance, move, interact with the, what's going on in the room. So they have an ancestral problem, yet they're blind to the reasons for their dysfunction. They blame God. We are so blind to the reasons for our own dysfunction, yet we blame the Lord. Well, God just doesn't want me to prosper. God just doesn't want me to bless, want me blessed. We told you to tithe. Oh, that's not God. No, God wouldn't tell me that. No, no, no. I don't believe that at all. Just God doesn't want me prosperous. God doesn't want me blessed. Okay, keep thinking that. Keep living that way. Nothing will change. Well, I just really want love in my marriage. I really just want God to create a happy home for me. Well, the Lord says, love your wife. Submit and honor her with love. Self-sacrificing love. Seek her highest good above your own. No, that can't be the Lord. No, 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 that's not God at all. No, 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 no. She needs to change and then I'll change. Wrong answer. I just really want a man who follows after God's own, God follows after the Lord. Honor him. Stop nagging him. Stop beating him over the head. Honor the things about him that are right. If anything is good, if anything is noble, if anything is pure, if anything is good, report. Look at that and enforce that. And all of a sudden he's going to look at you a little different, ladies. He's going to look at you as if you're not the bane of his existence. He's going to look at you and go, Wow. Wow, you're looking pretty good, girl. (laughs) Because you're not hammering him and nagging him all the time. Well, you need to get to church, and if you were a man of God, you would read your Bible, and you would do this, and you'd be like, wow, you really can't, you know, it was really cool, it was really great, I really love spending time with you today. You're such a man of God. You're such a man of God. You say he doesn't act like it. Call what is not as though it was. Come on. Look at your wife and just go, man, you are just exceptionally beautiful today. Is there anything that I can do for you? 
she's going to go. <laughs> she's going to smell your coffee. You've been drinking? What's going on here? We're blind to our dysfunctions, yet we blame the Lord. We're blind, but yet we blame God. God has an answer, and he has a path, and he has a river of blessing in every area of your life. Except for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't help you. Get me a musician. Some of you all need to soak in worship. You know, no more uns uns or no more like, you know, oh, you know, got my mind on my money. Whatever it is you're listening to, you need to pivot and start listening to worship. Things are going to change in your life. The atmosphere over your life is going to shift and your attitude itself is going to shift if you will begin to marinate, soak, and let your life be imbued with worship. Just let it begin to happen. Something's going to shift over and in you. All right? Next slide. Get me a musician. So we're not feeling the anointing. You know what you need to say? We're going to say it together. Get me a musician. I'm not feeling it. I'm just really dry in my faith and just don't feel like God loves me. Get you a musician. Get into worship. The musician played his harp, and what happened? The glory came upon Elijah. And he said, this is what the Lord says. There's the word. God began to speak. He says, dig ditches. <laughs> Everybody say it with me. Dig ditches. Now there's something you don't want to hear. You haven't had water for about a day and a half, and you're believing God for water. He sends you a prophet, and he hands you a shovel. Right? <laughs> dig some ditches. That's not what, it's not the answer you want. Like, I'm like, expecting it to rain or something. They're expecting a miracle. God gives you a command. When you're expecting a miracle, God's going to give you a command. He's going to tell you something that's directly related to your miracle. And He's going to expect you to have obedience. He wants obedience. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. He wants participation. His power, your partnership. Even though you do not see the wind or the rain, it's going to rain in this valley. This is easy for the Lord. It's easy. And I'm going to give you victory over your enemies as well. Aren't you glad? I'm not only going to provide water, but I'm going to provide what you really want, and that's victory. I'm not going to just provide your immediate need. I'm going to provide for you the desire that you have as well. This required a sacrifice. They had to do something. God tells you to do something, right? And it hurts. And it's hard. Right? Oh, it hurts. It's hard. No, duh. It's called work. Right? Jesus doesn't work any harder than you. I'm just going to let that marinate for a minute. Let that rattle theology. I posted on my Facebook, I had a guy go, Jesus has already done in the work. There's no more work. Yeah? Really? I'll also use the word again. Duh. He's done it. I got it. When it comes to salvation, Christ has done it all. When it comes to the promises, Christ has done it all. But it requires participation and partnership. You can't be saved until you give your life to Him. So no matter what Jesus has done, until you do something, until you partner with it, it doesn't become alive in your life. That's not just being born again and forgiven. That's releases all of the promises have a condition attached to them. All of them. They require you to do something. All of them. And so without it, we wait for Jesus to show up with a Reader's Digest check and a, and a bag of balloons, thinking that like, oh wow, here it is. It's what is going to come. You believe God for financial blessing. He'll tell you to start giving. Goes right against your nature. Goes right against common thinking. I have Christians in this church, we teach you tithing. You know, you don't want to give? Oh, well, it's okay. Bible tells you this in James. Then let that person expect to receive nothing from the Lord, for they're double-minded. God says, do this. You want to do that? Okay, well, don't go do that. But don't expect to receive anything from the Lord, because he said, do that. So you're free to do this, but don't expect anything from him, because this is what he said. Okay? People go, oh, I don't know about that, Pastor. I don't think I want to do that. I don't think, oh, this other stuff. And I'm like, that's fine. Then just change your expectations. 
This is God's path and God's avenue. It's the same in every way. Some people go, oh, I want friends. I want friends. I don't have any friends. The Bible has a word for you. If a person desires friends, everybody say it with me, let them show themselves friendly. In other words, you want a friend? Be a friend. Oh, that's so hard. I'm just an introvert. It's just really hard. Well, then you really don't want friends. If you want a friend, ask somebody. Hey, I want to, you know, nobody invites me to coffee. Nobody invites me to anything. I don't get to go anywhere with anybody at any time. Well, when's the last time you called and invited someone to go with you? Well, they may say no. Well, then ask 10 people. The odds are in your favor. If you ask 10 people, I'm guaranteeing you the odds are in your favor. You need to get over your rejection. You need to get over your insecurity. And you need to ask someone, hey, would you go to coffee? Well, let's go to coffee. Hey, would you go to, when you go to lunch? Hey, when you, you know, we go to the movie, whatever. You start making friends. That's how it is. You're like, that's work. Yes, it is. But that's how God, the Bible defines how we get friends. Show yourself friendly. That's it. And it hurts. And yes, it's painful. And yes, you got to get out of yourself. And yes, you got to dig a ditch. Yes, that's true. Even when you're thirsty, I want friends so bad. Here's a shovel digger. Just, ah! <laughs> I don't want to seem desperate, but would you go to coffee with me? <laughs> yeah, sure. Let me pray for you first. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> this requires a sacrifice. I had to do something. Faith hears. Faith honors. Faith does. It's partnership. Everything is a partnership. It's a partnership. His promises, we partner, we do what is recalled, we align, we, he releases. It's like a new car. I asked somebody in the first service, what's their favorite car? And somebody said, Tesla. And I said, that's a great one. God gives you promises. God gives you power, right? So the power and the promises are available to the believer. They are yours. But what we do is it's as if God gave us this amazing, beautiful machine, this Tesla. And we stand there and we shine it. And we look at it, and we take pictures of it, we put it on our Instagram and our Facebook, and look what God gave me. Yeah, that's wonderful, you know? Or we even study it and worship it. Man, long ago, yes, long ago people actually drove those things, but now we just get to look at it. You know, and you look at it and admire it. This is a powerful thing that he has given you, yet it means nothing until you apply the key. It means nothing. It will sit in the driveway, it will sit unused, but when you get in that thing and you turn it on, you're like, oh, oh. And you're like, wow, this feels pretty good. This was here all the time. Yeah, it's here. It's been there all the time. A lot of Christians don't understand. There are keys to the process. The power has not ceased. The problem is with us. We don't understand the keys. We don't understand the application principles, and we don't understand the obedience principles. And we teach people falsely. Therefore, the, 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 the what does it say? They deny the power. In the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. They will profess godliness, but they will do what? They deny what? What are they denying in the last days? If anybody knows. They deny the power. Last day church is evidenced by a church that denies power. There's no power. The power's not there. No, there's no more miracles. No more power. Who told you that? You're actually fulfilling scripture. So if I, if I was doing that, I'd go, man, I better readdress myself here. Because that is the mark of a last day's church. They deny power. Deny power. I'll give you another one to think about. And then you can, you know, some of y'all, I got you for one week. That's okay. On your way home, you can take about, no, anyone's just kidding. Je- the devil says with me, the devil, it's going to help some of you, is not anti-Jesus. He is anti-what? That's right. What is Christ? Christ is the anointing. So what is he opposing? Is he opposing Jesus? You can look across the world. Nobody opposes Jesus. 
but you, but you bring forth power, and that's where you're going to get opposition. What power? The power of salvation, the power of healing, the power of the prophetic, the power of the purpose, the power of God. You bring forth power, that's when hell's going to resist you. You can be Jesus all day long, Jesus as you understand him to be all day long. Bring forth power, that's where you're going to have opposition, because he's not anti-Jesus. He's anti-Christ. Christ is the anointing, okay? I told first service, I said, why do we do this little spiritual interaction before I teach? It's because I'm trying to get you used to the Tesla. I'm trying to get you to open the door and sit in it. Ooh, it feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Feel the leather. Turn the key a little bit. Get the revenue. Ooh, I feel it. Yeah. I can feel the glory. Is this all there is? No, there's way more than that. But I'm trying to prime a people who have long forgotten the power or maybe have never known the power ever. They've heard of it, but never experienced it. So we're trying to call a people into the living reality that comes through the Holy Spirit. Next slide. I'm almost done. Beware of the company you keep. So here's a couple takeaways. If you get it wrong with the wrong company, you're going to find yourself in a desert with no water. Get a word from the Lord and do it. What has the Lord told you that you, what is it that you know, that you know, that you know you're supposed to be doing, but you're not? What is it? And why? Where do you want or need water? What area of your life? Where they were is they were in a dry riverbed. So there used to be a river there, but there's no river there anymore. Everybody just kind of accepted it. Say this with me. Truth and reality are two separate things. They've accepted the reality that there's no river there anymore. When the truth says that there can be water there again. You see the difference? A lot of people live under a reality that says, I'm born poor, I live poor, I'm always going to be poor. That's your reality. Look at my world, bro. You know, I can't even meet my bills, I can't even meet anything. Look at my reality, yeah? But your reality is not your truth. You see? Truth says that you can prosper and be in abundance. Beloved, I, be- I wish that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. Prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. What does prosper mean? It means prosper. The word prosper means a life that rises. So it's not about the cars and the boats and the this and the that. That's not what he's necessarily talking about. He's talking about a life that's on the rise. So God says, I, want, I, be, I desire that your life be on the rise. That's what he's saying. But we accept the reality when God has promised us a truth. We are called to press into truth until truth becomes what? That's right. Thank you. New crowd. God love you guys. You guys don't know. So in your faith, family, future, friendships, finances, where's the water ceased? Has your faith run dry? Where's the water ceased? In your family. Nothing's happening in my family. Nothing's happening in my future. Where has it ceased and why? And then begin to do the things that God expects. Your attitude may be your greatest barrier. Say this. My greatest barrier may be the way that I think. Now, don't go going Joram on me and going, no, that's not true, Kevin. No, it is. Your attitude may be your greatest barrier, your pride. Your pride makes you refuse to do what is right. You know to do it, but you don't. You make excuses. No matter what we come down to, it's either pride or it's unbelief. Christians' disobedience is linked to two things primarily. Pride, arrogance, you know more, or unbelief. You really don't believe God would do what he said. That's really what it is. Oh, you say you do, but you don't do anything because you really don't believe. You really don't believe. And if you did believe, you would actually be doing the things that he told you to. If they didn't believe there wasn't going to be water, they wouldn't have dug a hole. They dug a hole. They they believed. They did the dirty work. They did the sweaty work. They did the necessary work because they believed. They can't stand there with a shovel in their hand saying, I believe, and not dig the hole. 
If you believed God and you believe God will do what he says, then do what he requires. Right? What is he requiring? What is the activation principle of the promise? And don't give me this, I did it one time. You have to do it consistently. You have to do it consistently. We talk a lot about different things. An easy miracle power in people's lives is tithes and offerings. People don't like it. They don't even like the word tithe. We talk about it. Miracle flows. But somebody goes, I gave one time, Kevin, and I didn't see anything. I'm like, yeah, give for the whole year. Give the full tithe for 12 months and then come back to me and tell me God didn't change you. God didn't prosper you. I can line them up. You know how many stories I get? I had somebody tell me they just got vested in their company and were given $100,000 in stock. They give the full tithe. She knew what she told me? She said, I used to tithe off of the net. Then I, started, I, I asked the Lord how to go further. She said, I started tithing off the gross. And she said, I've worked for this company for X amount of years. And she said, for the first time, they vested me with $100,000 in stock. I had another guy tell me the same thing. He gave 10%, never tithed before. I said, do it for a whole year, take the challenge up. Guy comes back to me, tells me at the end of the year that his boss gave him a 15% raise. Out of the blue. Said, come in here, man, dude. You're, the, you're our most underpaid manager. We've never known this before. But now all of a sudden we see you. You're a parent to us, and we're going to give you a 15% raise. I told him, God gave you back the 10% and put five on top of it. Nobody does business with Jesus and breaks even. You don't. You do not even out with Jesus. He takes you above and beyond. And so it's, like, oh, it's up to you. I don't want to do it. Well, okay, that's fine. Then don't complain financially. And don't complain that the river doesn't. I, I tithe. I've tithe my whole life. So it's like, I know this works. That's a real easy one for people to relate to. We can talk about family. We can talk about this. We can talk about that. But that's really where the rubber meets the road is when it comes to that. And that is a very important issue in the life of the believer. If the Christian doesn't tithe, the church doesn't go forth. If the Christian doesn't tithe, the kingdom is not released. And you go, well, what's the church doing with the money? Are you giving it to the church or are you giving it to Jesus? What's your question? What's your question? Right? <laughs> right. You got to kill the Judas, man. Broke the alabaster. Judas is like, you've wasted it. I got people in this church that have lost jobs and got immediately hired. Lost jobs and got immediately hired. And have tied through the whole process. And God continually blesses them. And they have family members that tell them, you're stupid. Why are you tithing? You can't afford to give. You can't afford not to. And they ask me, I don't give them. I said, what does the Lord tell you? I don't, I don't sit there and go, well, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. I said, this is what the word, just ask the Lord what he tells you. And she's like, I, I feel like I should be giving them. I'm like, then do that. It doesn't matter what anybody else is saying. Do what God is telling you. Whether it makes sense to you or not. Or whether everybody else around you thinks you're nuts or thinks you're crazy or thinks it doesn't work. It doesn't, that's a Judas spirit. You've wasted it, she, he said. You're wasting it. Alabaster, where are you? As for me and my house, that's where I'm going. So you have to reset, you have to repent, you have to renounce, you have to obey. Refusing to do what is right makes bitterness in our hearts. So we're either arrogant, we're either prideful, right, or we don't believe. Some of you need a reset. You need to go back. I hear people all the time, they say to me, Pastor, God doesn't speak to me anymore. I said, what has he told you that you didn't do? Go back to what he's told you to do that you didn't do and go back to that place and begin to ask God to speak to you from that. And I guarantee you, his voice is going to illuminate to you. He's not saying anything else to you because you won't be obedient to what he's already told you. So it's silent. It's crickets, right? Deaf and dumb is a product of rebellion, disobedience, or anger towards God. So if you have deaf and dumb, you can't hear. There's something struggling with your spiritual ears. It's directly related to, so, to a rebellion, okay? It's directly related to an anger towards God or it's something that you didn't do when you were required to do it. Somewhere in there it's that. And you have to go back to that place and I guarantee you you'll find it. 100%. 100%. 
Man, this is for somebody today. Boy, I feel like one pulling out of me. All right, so you have to repent. You have to renounce. You have to obey. Get a word. Dig the ditch. Everybody say dig the ditch. Do what he told you to do. But it's hard. I know. But it doesn't make sense. I know. Now, somebody tell me it makes sense to dig holes in a dry riverbed. Does that make sense? We need water. Dig a hole in a dry riverbed. Well, pff, that makes perfect sense to me. Let's all dig a hole in a dry riverbed. <laughs> no clouds in the sky. No wind. Prophet said, you won't see clouds, you won't see wind, but dig the hole. Doesn't look like anything's going to happen, but do it anyway. Doesn't seem like none of this makes sense, but do it anyway. Last slide. The next, everybody say the next morning. At the time of the regular sacrifice, water came flowing in the direction of Eden. God expects your faith and your obedience to endure through the night. God expects your faith and obedience to endure through the night. He didn't answer them in the evening. He, didn't, he answered them the next morning. They had to carry their faith and their obedience through the darkness. Through the darkness. Christians' lives are not always up and to the right. Okay? The life of the believer goes like this. Ooh, you know? But what it is, is it's always forward. That's the difference. The life of the Christian is not always up and to the right, but it is always forward. And God expects you to take your faith, what He's told you, and your obedience, and carry it forward until the water begins to move. Carry it through the night. That's the point. And we give up. Well, I prayed five minutes ago, nothing happened, so I guess it's just not the Lord. Right? Who told you that? Say this with me. The river will run again. If it has run before, it will run again. If it has never run, it will run. I will overcome. Jesus will overcome my mistakes, and I will have victory. I refuse to diminish myself or my identity beneath the identity that Jesus has established over me. I am a son, and I am a daughter before the highest. I am a victorious Christian, I am a victorious person. I overcome all things. Favor is on my life. All things work out to my good. In Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? (laughs) We're going to take communion.